Have you struggled to get everything done? Have you looked for every trick to be more productive? How much do you really understand about how productivity really works? This is Crushing the Clock, a podcast where we explore the nature of productivity so you can actually get back your time and energy, making a difference in both your personal and professional lives. You can try to have this perfect picture of how you want to spend your day, but have it blown up in seconds, and then you're running all over the place trying to pick up the pieces. But you don't have to operate this way. The path can be a little tricky, especially for entrepreneurs and startup CEOs, but it's not totally impossible. Today, Jenny Blake joins us to talk about this very issue. Jenny is a podcaster, a host, a speaker, and an author of several books. She helps organizations and business owners, both young and old, to be able to organize their plans through smarter systems. She joins the podcast to talk about managing time, specifically establishing systems that would skyrocket your way to success while maintaining a work-life balance. Her recent book, Free Time, is a really good resource and actually I'm going to come back in the next episode and share a couple of my personal takeaways from the book. But today, Jenny Blake gets to share some of the things from her perspective. And the way we're going to get started today is talking about founder time. That's one of the things that I really caught on to just a couple of years ago that she shared as she was preparing to write this book. And so as we jump into this conversation, she's going to start explaining exactly what founder time is. Founder time is time that's just for you. It's protected. I recommend creating a recurring founder time block on your calendar that nobody can schedule over, including you. And whether you work for yourself currently or you work for someone else, this is the time to be strategic and creative about your life and about your business, about the projects that you're working on. So rather than being in them, founder time is about zooming out and that you know at least once a week, you have time to look at the big picture. And as Michael Gerber would say, work on the business, not in the business or even more broadly, work on your career, not just in your career. So with Mm -hmm. my founder time, I really like to get as strategic as I possibly can in the scope of weeks. So I'm not catching up on small things during that window. I'm really asking, what is the one thing? And I know you quote the one thing on your list of resources on Mm -hmm. your site. It's a great book. What is the one thing I can work on in this block of time that would would most either free up my time or move the business forward? Absolutely. And that's actually one of the things I really like about your recent book, Free Time, which we'll get into a little bit more in depth later. But you frequently pull from a lot of these other books that we tend to talk about on this podcast as well. It really kind of jumped out at me in that. And I kind of got excited every time that you would quote Gary Keller or all the different authors in those different books and things and bringing out those things and helping to be able to make connections and bridges between them. But I really like that idea of blocking that time. One of the difficult things that I came across, and I know that a lot of other people do as they are starting or growing a business, whether they're just self-employed or maybe they have a couple contractors or employees that are working with them, is they get to a point to where they feel like they have zero time to be able to open up, to be able to do that type of work. 
because they're just so ingrained into doing the work that they don't feel like they can free that up. So how can people be able to free up that time to be able to work on founder time? It is a really tricky chicken and the egg conundrum where when you're in the thick of it and you're in those early days of building and you're on a limited runway, time, energy, money, you name it, but usually money where you know this money is going to run out unless I Mm -hmm. grow the business to the next level. It's really hard to think about spending money on hiring somebody. That said, even when I've been at my absolute lowest Hiring help, even just five hours a week from a virtual assistant or some kind of project manager has always, always been to my benefit. And so I recommend not not just asking, how can I afford this in a sense of limited funds, but a more creative way of asking, how can I afford this? So it's not, can I afford this? Yes or no, a binary. You're asking how. And in doing that, you're generating creative ideas. So I recently hired a podcast production team for my two shows. Hiring and the outsourcing I was most nervous to do because it's almost $2,500 a month. I mean, my Mm. shows definitely don't earn really anything currently, but... By hiring them, I was able to free so much of my time that I built products and services in my business, like the free time dashboard, that have already earned me back the cost of hiring this team. It just came from a slightly different channel. And the other thing I'll say is that now I'm more motivated than ever. I see how much easier they're making my life. And so now I'm asking, all right, I got to double down on figuring out how to generate income for my podcast. And there's a lot of different ways to do that. But because I hired them, it's lighting the fire under me to actually solve this. Whereas if I was still doing it all myself or just lightly outsourcing here and there to one-off audio editors, not only would I still own the whole process and have that friction of being the one that not is just the bottleneck and the one that's on my mind, what do we need to do? What's next? They own it fully. It's off my mind. My mind is free and clear. I've never been happier. Now with that renewed energy, I can think about how do I earn back the cost of hiring them and then some. Yeah, it's a really difficult mental jump sometimes, or at least it was for me to be able to do that. I struggled that with that for quite a bit because it's like I can't or I felt like I couldn't take any kind of pay cut to be able to pay someone. But and so I came up with a plan to kind of just do it incrementally. So it's like, OK, let me pass off this one thing. And it's like, OK, that'll give me another 30 minutes to an hour or something like that a week to be able to focus on something else, be able to work on marketing or something like that else to be able to replace that income. And so it was a good strategy until COVID shut things down and my clients began having some difficulty continuing on. But anyway, I really love that. You said there, or maybe at least alluded to the idea of establishing systems to be able to get to that point of where then you can finally be able to delegate those things. So what are some of the things that people can do to be able to establish a system in their business? Well, the first thing you can do is I created a free template. It's called the Delegation Task Tracker. Just observe over the next few weeks. Have this open in front of you. You can even use a pen and paper at your desk. It could be the notes app on your phone. It doesn't have to be fancy. But the point is that as you work in a given day and week and couple of weeks, that will give you the most information about what you could delegate, even if you don't know to whom yet or if you can afford it. The reason I like that is that when, if I were to ask any of you listening right now, quick, what's the first thing you delegate? You might have one or two ideas, but there's going to be a lot hiding under the surface. If we think about the iceberg metaphor, there's what you mm-hmm. can see. And then there's all the other things, large and small, that it just aren't popping up top of mind. So first, notice what you could delegate. 
Then, as I share in the book, the primary diagnostic that I recommend is looking where are you in friction and where are you in flow, but specifically, what area of your life and work is creating the most friction right now, where you're just miserable in that area. You're dreading something, you're procrastinating, you it's draining you, you don't even like to do it. That's what I would delegate first because it's going to relieve the most pressure. And, you know, there are different ways to do that. You can run experiments, but picking an area that has a lot of friction, you're going to be more motivated to solve it, more motivated to pay for it, and you're going to benefit the most from freeing that zone so that you can do more of your best work. Yeah. So there's a lot of things that the benefits of being able to do that. And I think if someone just takes a little bit of time, they probably pretty quickly be able to come up with what that pain point is. And based on a lot of the books I've done, I've noticed it a little bit of myself as well. But a lot of times there's like a lot of the admin type pieces that are a pain point because like stuff you got to take care of, but it's not the glamorous part where you're, you're not working with clients. You're not working like directly on the work itself. And you're just, it seems tedious and all that as well. Yeah. Admin's a good area. What I find with a lot of admin stuff is that a lot of it can be automated through systems and software. For example, I use Zapier a lot in my business and I set up zaps for everything. So if somebody joins my private BFF community for business owners, when they enroll, the zap automatically tags them in my system as a BFF. It invites them to circle our private community. It adds them to a recurring calendar invite. It does all kinds of things that nobody on my team has to do. Zapier, I just, on the advice of a friend, I also just set it up to send a message to our Slack channel when somebody buys one of our highest tier programs, because I like to respond to those people right away, but I'm often away from my desk. So now nobody has to catch that email coming in. I'm going to get notified in a more kind of urgent way than I would have, oh, I need to remember to go check our team inbox and oh, shoot, something came in for a $2,000 product yesterday and nobody caught it. So I think with admin stuff, there's a lot that you can automate more than you probably think. There's a lot that Mm. you can eliminate. And then the rest is what you can create really easy systems around. You mentioned my love of systems and documentation. That is the next step you can take, even if you're not ready to hire somebody just yet. And again, even part-time. Most of my, I don't work full-time and neither does anybody on my team. My team members put in five, maximum 10 hours a week. That's it. Most business owners can find a way to incorporate that expense. I would call it an investment in what you're currently doing if you have any cash flow at all. And so even if you don't know who yet or how you're going to delegate, just write the process down. So I find like even managing email, it's a lot of process stuff. If this, then that. Here are the steps to take care of this type of message or this type of request. Before we hit record, Joshua, you were even saying, thank you. I, Jenny, made it so easy for you to schedule this interview. That's on purpose Mm -hmm. and it's by design. I want to save both of us the trouble of a bunch of email back and forth. So you were smart enough to see that there was a media kit and read it, actually read it and see that there was a scheduling link and follow the link. And that made both of our lives so much easier. And it didn't even involve a third party. It involved software, which was Calendly in this case. Yeah, I really, really love that. And I was very impressed. I can definitely say that. So if there's anybody listening that is a podcaster, (laughs) definitely take a a clue from that. And that's something that you can be able to implement. I'm going to probably implement something like that myself too. That would be a really good thing. But thinking about that with, you mentioned about your team. Now in your book, Free Time, you do talk about like the size of the team matters. And so can you kind of give some of the uh, high points of of some of that take is like how many on the team and how to pick the team and things like that. Sure. There's a diagram in the book, but you, anybody listening can find it. If you just Google connection nodes, you'll see that the 
complexity of communication increases dramatically once you get over about seven people. And research also shows that about seven is a sweet spot. I personally love at least a triangle formation or a square. If you only have two, it's you and a VA. Your business is still fragile. There's a saying that one is the most dangerous number in business. If you have one of anything, you have a single point of failure, including you, the business owner. And that's quite stressful. If you get sick, everything grinds to a halt, including your income. That's scary. If you have a Mm -hmm. VA and they leave or they get sick or something happens, you're still left in a lurch and going to be stressed. So triangle, I like to have at least three of us. I find that to be really delightful. I call it delightfully tiny teams. That's super delightful. Four, a square, that works too. But it's still, you can see that the nodes of communication between us with four people, still relatively simple. I also like hiring specialists like the podcast production team. They are their own delightfully tiny team of three or four or five people that might have their hands on any given episode for one of my two shows, Pivot or Free Time. But I'm not actively managing them. Someone else is managing them. And that makes me really happy. I'm I'm happy when I don't need to be what I call in the book, the all-seeing question answer or chief everything officer. So I like hiring specialists who someone else manages that work. Yeah, I think that's a good point, though, as we talk about delegation and as you just mentioned there about the being the one with all the answers. And so you might delegate or think that you're delegating something, but you're still leaving it wide open for everyone to come to ask you all the questions related to whatever task it is that you done. And that can bring things to a halt as well. Yes. And I also say every question lives three lives. So if someone is going to ask a question, that's okay. But that means we had a gap in our systems and documentation. However, where I get annoyed is when I find myself answering the same questions over and over, even if it's to different people who don't know any better. It's never the other person's fault. It's my fault. I just recorded an episode for free time called Train the System, Then the Person, because I realized that every time there was turnover of who was helping me with my email, I was having to explain the same things again. So the better thing is that if someone on your team asks you a question because they can't find the answer, A, that's a systems flag. B, they should document what you say. So if you answer them on the phone, in email, in Slack, it should not live there. That question has to live a second life in your internal documentation so that the next person can find it more easily. And if it can, live a third life that's customer facing. It's on your website. It's something that makes it clearer so that nobody has to ask you. Yeah, I really like that. And I like the simplicity that that brings. That reminds me of one of the early stories in your book as well, where you're staying at, I don't know if it was a VRBO or Airbnb, whatever. And you had a question about the Wi-Fi password. And that led to you helping that owner be able to create that little binder with that information. Yes. Give a little more information on that. Yeah, this is my friend, Julie. I was staying at her place, but she wasn't going to be home yet. And as I was taking off for a flight on my way to her apartment, I texted, by the way, what's the Wi-Fi password? So I have it when I land because I didn't know time zones would be different. And she started texting me back along with some other instructions. And I thought, poor Julie, this must be so annoying that, oh, I have to pepper her with all these questions during the middle of her workday. She's busy. She's traveling too. And so as I was taking off, I said, would it be helpful if I created a Google Doc for you? And I just created the shell, shared it with her. By the time I landed two hours later, That had inspired Julie to sort of capture everything that I needed to know to get in. By the time I left her apartment a week later, we had built this thing out to seven beautiful pages with a template. It was formatted nicely. It had maps. It had links to restaurants. It was this complete guide to her apartment. And I didn't even know what she did with it after I left until a couple years later when I was writing this section of free time. 
I was staying at my friend Anne's house and Anne wasn't going to be there. And Anne wrote back and I said, she started peppering me with text. Same thing, deja vu. And I said to Anne, hey, do you want me to throw these in a Google Doc? She said, oh, like the one you made for Julie? Yes, please. So she knew she had received the Google Doc. And that to me is the measure of a good system. It's so good, you can't not use it. So systems, a lot of people feel allergic. Oh, I don't like systems. That's not how my mind works. Okay, great. But once it's designed, it hurts more not to use it. And that's a good system. Not one that's going to create more work, more friction, but the one that you can't resist because it makes your life so much easier. And this is one small example. But if you have ever stayed at an Airbnb, like you mentioned, Josh, then you know that the owner doesn't call each guest on the phone and walk them through. There's a guide to how to stay at that apartment. So that's really a metaphor, but it's also a very functional, practical thing that we've all experienced. Yeah. And one of the things that comes to my mind as we're talking about several of these different things is one of the things that has stopped me, or at least caused me to hesitate, is the idea of perfection. I feel like I need to get something just right or it's not worth doing and so i look at like the whole picture and it's like i don't know if i can be able to get it to whatever level and so that hinders me from even starting what are some things to be able to get past that idea that it has to be perfect and realize that we just need to start yeah well it's so understandable These are kind of those cringe moments where you delegate and you see maybe someone else handle something a little differently. Or I guess I got comfortable with things in my business. There are certain things that I obsess about, like the brand, and I really am super detail-oriented in the book and the book design. I combed through that book looking for any hyphenated word along the margin that shouldn't have been hyphenated, but it was breaking at a weird point. I mean, crazy levels of detail and perfectionism, but a lot of the rest, it's good enough and that's good enough. And I call it the cookie dough in your business that sometimes you don't even need to bake the cookies. They taste fine. Like I don't know about you, Joshua, but I love cookie dough. I will mm-hmm. sit there with a spoon and eat it and like be perfectly happy that they're not fully baked into cookies. And there's more of that than you might think in the business. So I will let podcasts go that are just kind of awkward and maybe I cringe a little bit, but they have to be good enough. The show must go on. I really, there is a point of diminishing returns. And I think you and I have read a lot of the same business books. You would love the 80%. It's either Solution or Approach by Dan Sullivan. I'll find it for us. Um, Let's see. I'm going to look it up right now. I can't resist because it's so good. And everybody listening, if you haven't, it's called the 80% Approach. I'm sure Joshua can put it in the show notes. And the Flywheel Monograph. Jim Collins, he pulled it out of the book, Good to Great. And those two things, the flywheel monograph and the 80% approach will really get you to put attention on where it is important and then let the rest go. And at the same time, I've had some team turnover recently and getting back into the weeds, I'm actually catching a lot of mistakes or things that weren't optimized. So there is a case to be made for your mode as well, but maybe you toggle between both. You can't always be perfectionistic and detail-oriented because that will be will hobble progress. But then every now and then, of course, it's a good thing to do a systems audit and dive back in and go, oh, these things aren't up to my standards and fix them. Yeah. One thing I've heard, and I can't remember if it was in your book or one of the others that we share is is the idea that we all have systems whether we do them on purpose or not yeah there's a book called clockwork that they're coming out with a revised edition soon and they they put that really well that we all already have systems in process what doesn't mean that they're optimized but 
you have certain systems like or stacks in the morning, like, okay, you wake up, you brush your teeth, you have coffee, or maybe someone else has their coffee and then brushes their teeth, you know, you still have a workflow of the way that your work flows. And you know the areas that it's smooth and flowing and easeful and joyful. And then you also know the ones, again, that are laden with friction. And sometimes the friction areas, you don't have to do it at all. Like if there is a type of client or you know when you're charging too little because you resent the work. And that is always what motivated me to price correctly for myself. Not that there's ever a right answer. Some would say there is. But If it's priced too low, I don't want to do the work. And that's really not good for the client either. They should want Mm -hmm. me to show up at my best, most excited, most joyful. And if it's too little, it's full of friction. And and I feel, you know, or someone tries to overly negotiate with me. It's like, I don't feel respected in that process. So I'd rather say no. Yeah, that's so true. And that's a very difficult thing for especially newer people starting a business is being able to get that pricing. I know I really struggle with that. One suggestion I was given was, come up with the price and then double it. Yes. It's like, what? That was really uncomfortable. I say in free time to triple it. Yeah. Three T's that you got to triple it because you have team time and taxes. So we forget that when the business owner conducts a service, you're the employee in that moment. And again, this is put really well in E-Myth, but you need to account for the opportunity costs. That instead of working strategically on the business, you're in it. So that's your own time. And then you got to account for the team that even if the team doesn't help you with that client, you're still often having bookkeeper, accountant, someone in the back end doing something for you. And then taxes are going to gobble up 20, 30%. So yes, <laughs> I think tripling your rates, just making sure it's in line with the value you're offering. But I really love Alan Weiss's work on value-based pricing. So highly recommend that as well. Million dollar consultant if you're still offering services in your business. Well, it sounds like we are going to have a lot of really great resources for people to be able to get a hold of. I know it's either a good thing or homework. <laughs> oh. Well, if it's anyone like that, you're the one of us. I think it'll be an enjoyable homework. Yeah. To do so. <laughs> but anyway, so thinking about resources, you have a lot of great resources as well. And so you have your book that we've talked about free time. So where would be the best place that someone can get that and maybe some of the other resources that you have available? Sure. Well, you can look up Free Time with Jenny Blake wherever you're listening to this show or Pivot with Jenny Blake. And you can visit itsfreetime.com slash toolkit. You'll get all those resources are free. You'll get a lot of stuff related to what we talked about. And then as you said, Josh, Free Time the book, I highly recommend any format, but I've particularly love the collector's edition hardcover. So if you just go to itsfreetime.com slash book, you'll find buttons to any retailer of your choice. Well, excellent. Well, I have the audible version and I oh, really cool. enjoy that. Thank you. I love it. I know it's so cool now with podcasts and audiobooks is kind of interchangeable how to get the info that you're looking for and yes. be able to listen while doing other things. I know I'm such a such a podcast fanatic. So I appreciate you having me on your show and everybody who's here listening It's so fun. It's just the best way to make friends and even friends from afar of everyone who's been here with us listening. Yes, absolutely. And even though I have the Audible version, I do want to get a physical copy so I can, because the problem with the Audible is it's like I'm listening because most of the time I'm in the car or doing mowing or something to that effect. And so I'm not able to take notes and really take a lot as much in as I want to and start applying the principles. So it's on my list to be able to get a physical copy as well. So I would definitely recommend that for other people as well. So (laughs) having multiple copies is a good thing. The physical copy (laughs) is good for shelfies and that you can remind yourself to work toward ever more free time. 
That is a really good purpose. I, I never really thought of that, but now that I'm thinking about it, when I do see a book on my shelf or on a counter or desk or whatever, even if I don't open it up and look at it, that does just bring up, bring back the yeah. memories and a reminder of some of the principles just kind of come back in a flash. Totally. Never thought of that. That's really cool. <laughs> I know. I love, I have half my books I've read and loved. And then the other half is what Nassim Taleb calls an anti-library. They're ones <laughs> I haven't read. And I feel so happy knowing like they'll jump off the shelf at just the right time. Yes. Well, excellent. Well, thank you again for taking the time to be able to share all of this with us. Likewise. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here. Make sure to follow or subscribe to this podcast in your podcast player of choice so you don't miss an episode. If you have any questions or comments, or you want more productivity resources, visit crushingtheclock.com. I would love to hear from you, and I'll catch you on the next episode of Crushing the Clock.